you know, you can't say it enough, you can't stress it enough, so we always say begin with the end in mind, and so I always want to give thanks for you. Give thanks for you for your partnership and, and serving and ministering. We all minister to each other, and I think uh, this is a little side nugget for today. If we're able to take a hold of that, we're going to see God do some amazing things uh, in and through our life together. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 5. Um, we're going to continue off on our series, Ongoing Devotion. Ongoing Devotion. We're in the, the letter uh, to, of Acts, chronicling God moving so powerfully and specifically through his followers. And we had Pastor Isaiah last week uh, delivered a wonderful message and in it, he talked about how, you know, we, we saw that the believers had all things in common. They're taking care of one another. They're giving the way that God would have them give. And even looking at how we see that Ananias and Sapphira, that, you know, God knows what's in the heart, and yet they lied to God, and there were circumstance and consequence of what was happening. But in the midst of that, that wasn't the end of the story, that things continued, that things progressed, and God continued to do signs and wonders amongst his people because he hadn't given up on them. He hadn't given up on them. And so we're going to go to chapter 5, verse 12. And then we'll continue on. It says here, many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. <laughs> if you stop for a moment, you think, did that really happen? That's incredible. In addition, a multitude came together from towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. They were all healed. you got to love this point that all this is happening, word is getting out, and so people want to come and see for themselves. What does this relationship with Christ entail? There's people who are being healed from sickness, people being freed from different kinds of affliction and oppression, and yet there are some, though, still that think they can circumvent the will of God. Case in point with Ananias and Sapphira. And yet in the midst of this, the wonderful blessing is we can see there are many who are coming to faith in Christ. i got to tell you, as I was reading this letter this week, I'm like, Lord Jesus, I want to see this in my lifetime. Lord God, like when we're talking, whether it's at a men's group or the ladies group or even, you know, we're on the street corner buying a, you know, what they call street meat or a pretzel or something. If you just, we're talking about Jesus and what he's done in your life, that people would just come in increasing number to the Lord. I was encouraged the other day, I was talking with Carl Chilean, Isaiah's dad, and he was saying, them, and I can't remember the prophet's name, but he was saying that there's a, there's a great revival that we have yet to see. We've yet to see in our nation. And I want to believe that God is still pouring out his spirit, and he's, he's going to capture hearts. He's going to turn hearts to him. And yet we see in this story that in the midst of this going on, the effect, there were those who didn't want to rock the boat. 
We've been talking about how the leaders and those, maybe they were just on the fence because it was a tad uncomfortable. Well, they're just like, no, 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 not me. This doesn't fit with the way I want to do life, the way I want to live life. Maybe they're OCD, I don't know. And I'm just joking a little bit with that, okay? If, if that's something in your life, I'm not making fun of it, I'm not mo- mocking it. But they, clearly from the letter here, there were those who just had their backs up, if you will. So I've entitled this message this afternoon, Hearts on Fire. Hearts on Fire. When I uh, put this title to this message, I couldn't help but think of the movie Rocky. Rocky Balboa. There's actually a song, I think, in the, the one where he goes to Russia to face that big powerhouse boxer, right? And the song's talking about hearts on fire, strong desire, burning deep within. And Rocky's training. He's preparing because he's lost his edge. He's lost that drive. He's lost that fire. And if he doesn't reclaim that fire or drive, he's going to be destroyed. And literally his good buddy, his friend Apollo, was destroyed in the ring. And so it got me thinking, here we see the followers of Christ, their hearts are on fire. And because their heart's on fire, they're changing the world. And they're destroying the kingdom of Lucifer, the prince of the power of the air. And you can imagine, the prince of the power of the air, Lucifer the devil, he doesn't like that so much. It's like Drago in Russia when Rocky's facing off. He doesn't like the fact that Rocky's able to land one or two punches. But here we see the apostles are are sticking it out. Their heart's on fire. They're changing the world. And I couldn't help but write this down to ask you this afternoon, what does your heart burn after? What does your heart yearn for? What is your heart on fire for? And this is something I was asking myself this morning. I had my cup of coffee. That's something I, had, I hadn't done in, in years past. I, I didn't drink coffee. So in a way, maybe it was the warmth of the coffee going down into my belly. But as I was reading this letter, I just felt this stirring of fire in my spirit. And that encouraged me, that affirmed me that this is something that is going to minister to us this afternoon. When's the last time you were at a fire pit? Maybe around a campfire. I know back in the summer with Isaiah, with the youth, they would have these campfires and you stare into the flame and it captivates you. It gives off this tremendous heat and warmth. And I say all that because when's the last time you read the definition of fire? Just for a little visual, we've all been around a fire, but do we really look at the intricacies of what makes fire happen? Maybe your mind drips over to the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks, marching around the fire. He finally gets some wood together, which is to accelerate the fuel for the fire. And he finally, boom, the fire erupts. And he says, oh, I have made fire. Maybe your mind went there. I don't know. But fire is defined as this. The visible effect of the process or process, as Patrick Stewart would say, of combustion. The process of combustion. It's a special type of chemical reaction. It occurs between oxygen in the air and some sort of fuel. 
Think about that. There's a combination here. Oxygen in the air and some sort of fuel. And the fuel, don't miss this, the fuel must be heated to its ignition temperature for combustion to occur. The fuel must be heated to the ignition temperature for combustion to occur. If you've ever tried to build a fire, I tried it once or twice. I couldn't get it figured out. I'm rubbing the sticks together, but all I see is maybe a little bit of smoke, but no flame. And this shows us there's some significant effort that goes into this ignition to occur. And yet here we see some encouragement. We see here that the followers of Christ have been ignited. Their hearts have been set on fire with a strong desire to do what Jesus said. Go into the world and teach them everything that I taught you. So what was their fuel source? What was the ignition in their life? I heard it whispered. Shout it out. Holy Spirit is one of the major aspects, the fuel of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. The Apostle Paul said this to the believers in Colossus. He said this. We proclaim him, Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And he says in verse 29, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully within me. I'm going to repeat that. I labor for this, striving with all his energy and strength that works powerfully Within me. How many times, and I'm preaching to myself, how many times do we try to do it in our own strength? You know, even when you get asked a really tough question, and maybe the question might even kind of tick you off a little bit because you're wondering, how did you even land there? But it's good to be reminded who our source is, the fuel, that ignition that makes the combustion possible. Jesus his Holy Spirit is our source. Amen, Debbie. You're, you're right in there. You get 100 points today. I don't know what, you're, what we're going to use those points for, but 100 points. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, verse 20. We know it so well. He says, I am with you always. I am with you always to the end of the age. We know that we're living in the church age. We're living in the grace era while we're waiting for Jesus to return. The returning king who's on the throne. But I love how he says to his followers, remember I am with you always. Because he knew them. He knew that there'd be times when they would forget. Circumstance would box them in. And so as saying these words would be the fuel no matter when you're brought before leaders or circumstance erupt, I am with you always. And I have to admit, uh, last year when I was facing, you know, one of the most difficult times in my life, dealing with cancer and such, I was so thankful for the peace and yet in that storm, knowing that he's with me, that he hasn't forgotten me. And I believe he uses those circumstances, I, I, I see some heads nodding, he uses those circumstances so that we realize how much we truly need him. Have you ever talked to someone when they maybe, it looks like on the outside, they have everything figured out? 
You know, they got the beautiful house, they got the cars, they, their family looks so well put together, even when they're out in public. And yet at times, you might feel it's hard to crack that egg because they act as if they do have everything figured out. But if you really take the time to ask some questions and, or even do some listening, you'll find out, you know what, they're just like us. We're all on the same plane here before God. We really don't have it figured out. We're all going through things. We're all struggling. And so I'm encouraged as we continue on here that when we look at this story of what's happening, we're going to continue on in verse 17. God has a way of using life as revealing what's important to us. He's going to use the circumstances to show us what drives us. What fuels us? So I want to park there for a moment to ask you this. If we're truly honest with ourselves, if we will take that mission upon ourselves, what will God show us? What could we learn in that moment? What will we experience and to a greater degree? I believe that when we're honest, we're going to encounter, we're going to experience this level of discernment that the Apostle Paul talked about, that when we offer our lives as living sacrifices to God, that we will know his pleasing and perfect will. We have to be honest with ourselves. I need you, Jesus. I can't do this without you. Thank you that you remind me you are with me always. And so my point uh, number one for today is life is our classroom. There are always lessons to be learned. Life is our classroom. You know, I think back to um, a few times when I was in elementary school, and I was wondering if I should share this story. I don't have it in my notes. Um, so forgive me if I don't tell it quite right, but, you know, we all have things that we're learning along the way, and we, maybe we catch on to things a little quicker than other things. I remember one time I'm in math class, and uh, the teacher singles me right out. He's like, Andrew, what? And he asked me some question. I mean, it might as well have been some great physics question. There's no way I was going to be able to answer it, even though it probably was quite simple. But I was just completely and utterly lost. Completely and utterly lost. Like, oh man, I'm so embarrassed. And yet my good buddy, my good buddy, Scott, he jumps in. He comes to my rescue and he gives the answer. I'm like, oh, thank you. I I hate it when the teacher singles me out like that. I just get like a deer caught in the headlights. But one thing that I'm realizing in this moment, as I was sharing and preaching to you, Realizing, like, man, that was a missed moment. I allowed myself to become so frozen that I wasn't able to learn the lesson. If you're able to catch the drift, I wasn't able to learn the lesson. And so sometimes, if we're not willing to learn those lessons, it can put us into dangerous spaces or places. If we're unwilling to learn the lessons, we can be put into dangerous spaces or places. And so let's look here at verse 17. We can see that the Sadducees, in the midst of all that they witnessed, of all the signs and wonders, even Sapphira and Ananias, you know, dying because they lied to the Lord, they still believed they could circumvent God. 
Look at verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and he and all who were with him, who belonged to the party, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Look what's going on here. The Sadducees' hearts have remained unchanged. They've had every opportunity. These signs and wonders are happening, and yet their hearts are still hardened. Their hearts are still hardened to the point where they've even become, in a way, militant. Militant. And so I want you to remember this point, that this can illustrate for us the importance of getting on board. When the ship is at sail, it's important to not miss the boat, to get on board. Because we can't overthrow God. God is on the move. Amen? God is on the move. We've all heard that growing up. I remember as a young boy hearing that word. God is on the move. Amen? When you'd hear a testimony of whether it was a healing or a breakthrough or, or someone was able to secure a job they have been praying for and waiting for for some time, you'd hear people say, God is on the move. It's a wonderful thing to, to know that God is on the move because he says, I am with you always. And yet we got to look at this story and realize that through the followers of Christ, God is still humbling the prideful. He's still humbling them. The scripture says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so here God is giving grace to his followers because their hearts are on fire. The ignition switch has been set and they're willing to go and continue sharing and teaching even with the threat of prison. Jesus said this to Peter in Matthew 16, 18. And I say to you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I can't begin to tell you how many times I'm thankful and I pray and cry out to God, thank you that you promise you're building your church. No matter what I say, no matter what we even do in this physical place, you're building your church. Whether we plant seeds and others water and make it grow, you're the source. You're making things work out for our good. You're building your church. And yet we see on the other side, because of the stubbornness, that's what it was. Stubbornness of these leaders, Satan was able to enter their hearts and caused a different chain reaction, a different combustion. And the fuel, the fuel that entered their heart, we see here was jealousy and anger. Verse 17, then the high priest rose up, he and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. And this spoke to me, Angie, if you're, if you're not careful, if you're not continuously filling up like you take your car to the gas station with unleaded or maybe, maybe more accurately, uh, Supreme, it's better for the engine. If you're not filling yourself with the word of the Lord, reading scripture and filling yourself with those words that the enemy will desire to fill you instead. So here we see the leaders are being filled by the prince of the air to the point where they say in verse 33, when they heard this, because the followers are proclaiming and testifying about Jesus as Messiah, it says that they were enraged and wanted to kill them. 
they were enraged and wanted to kill him. So two fuel sources have been introduced, jealousy and anger. Jealousy and anger took over. And you know, this got me thinking, and maybe this will resonate with you, that whenever you share the word of God, whatever tone, maybe it's you do so very passionately, maybe even quietly, however you share it, the thing is, when we read the word or proclaim it, it doesn't always give us warm fuzzies. Now, don't get me wrong, there's peace. When you read scripture, you're going to encounter peace, because in him is fullness of joy and peace. But also, there's a conviction level. The ignition switch is also hit when we allow the words of God to pour over us, and that conviction is also a reality. And so here we see, as the followers of Christ are, are sharing, that it's stirring up anger because these men are being convicted. Look at here in verse 29, or sorry, verse 28. Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in his name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And so Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 32. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who believe. And so here they are. They're sharing and testifying. And instead of it being used as an accelerant for these leaders, for their heart to be reformed, reorientated towards God, they became hardened and stubborn. And the fuel source, the result of this combustion, was jealousy and anger. And so what do we do with that? Where do we go from here? As we think about our family units, we think about those around us, I have to believe and I'm thankful that in these circumstances that God can redeem anyone. Amen? He can redeem anyone because we all have really truly the same testimony. If you really think about it, we were once lost and now we're found. We all have different stories in the, the paths in which God called us to himself, but we share a very similar story. And so here we see these leaders are resistant, and yet there's hope in their midst. There's hope in their midst because one man, a trusted leader from their group, Gamaliel, rose up and he offered a word of wisdom. You know, maybe he was taking notice of the lessons of hand, being like, whoa, guys, like, this isn't like before. This isn't like other leaders that have rose up and then, you know, their following just kind of dispersed over time once they were executed or so on. This is still going on, and multitudes of people are joining their ranks, if you will. So this is what uh, Gamaliel uh, stands up and he says at verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sahandrim and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. And i got to love this. He's saying, okay, let's, let's let them leave the room for a moment. We need to have a heart-to-heart. -heart. <laughs> okay, let's just, let's just pause for a moment. He said to them, men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago... Thaddeus rose up, 
claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished, and all his followers were scattered. So, in this present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. And they were persuaded by him. As you look at things from this side of the story, looking back to thousands of years ago, perhaps Gamaliel here, this wise leader, maybe he had a coming to Jesus moment. And yet, on the other hand, I think that's a pretty important detail that the letter uh, would have included if he had a coming to Jesus moment. But yet, there was a moment here, I believe, of an attitude adjustment. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. If this is of God, it will prevail. And then we'll appear as if we're fighting against God. Who wants that? So as I was reading this and looking at this, that whatever it was, it doesn't look like he was saying this just for optics sake. You know, sometimes we go through the motions. Sometimes we make decisions because we're more worried about what people are going to think or say. But right here, i got to believe, because he's a fervent Jewish leader, the Torah, the law is so important to this man in honoring God that he doesn't want to be on the wrong side. He wants to honor God. i got to give him that. I really believe that he wants to honor God. And so here we see that he has convinced these leaders for a time, for a time, to not go after these men, especially not to kill them. And so his story, this leader, and the the group that he belonged to, their life story is a lesson for us all, isn't it? It's our classroom. These pages are our textbook as we're reading, and we can see the importance of being on the right side of history. I, for one, you know, the day when I breathe my last breath and there's a memorial, if that's before Jesus returns, I would hope people would say that Andrew was on the right side of this. (laughs) He was on the right side of history. And I'm so thankful, so thankful that each of us, we can have the written word in our own home. That we can read. So we can know what is right. We can know how to be on the right side of history by reading the word of God. That we also have the Holy Spirit that speaks uh, to us, reminds us of all the things that Jesus taught his followers. John chapter 8, we're told this. Jesus spoke to them again. He said, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love that verse. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light that leads to life, or have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself, but your testimony is not valid. Even if I test about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true, because I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know where I come from. Or where I am going. And so with that statement, you're like, 
wow, that's, that's crazy. They'd say your testimony isn't true. Well, I'm thankful that because we're in Christ, we know who he is. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. And that as Isaiah said last week, because we believe in him, we're united with Christ. We belong to him. And so we too will be as he is one day. The corruptible, that which can be corrupted, the heart that can be so easily corrupted, will be clothed with incorruptibility and be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. And I'm going to move to the next points fairly quickly here. Number two, testing of our, and testing in life reveals the motives of our heart. Testing reveals the motives of our heart. How many know Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this. Guard your heart above all else for it is the wellspring of life or the source of life. I remember once a speaker said, what you give your heart to, you'll give your life to. What you set your mind to, you'll commit yourself thereof. And so here we see the apostles in the testing their hearts were shown to be for the Lord. Let's go to verse 28 to 32. Just a reminder. Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in his name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on the tree. But God exalted this man to the right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these. you got to love they didn't comply. You have to love that even in the midst of threat of prison, that they didn't lay down, they didn't roll over in the midst of this affliction. So two weeks ago we said they didn't pray, God, deliver us from this affliction. They Rather, they prayed for boldness. But here's something really cool. I believe because they prayed for that boldness, God did something really cool. So here they're being afflicted. The leaders think they have the upper hand. And then, boom, an angel shows up and frees them from their shackles. Look back here in verse 18. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. And so hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. I think a very practical walkaway here is they didn't just embrace their freedom and say, I'm getting the heck out of here. I'm getting out of Dodge. But they took to heart what their mission was. They had prayed for boldness. God shows up by his angel and delivers them out of the jailhouse so they can continue on mission. I'm sure as this was happening, maybe some of you here were thinking of the words by the Apostle Paul who said, anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. No, that can't be. No, because we're living in the grace age, right? We have many blessings. There's no way we're going to face persecution and affliction. I'm blessed and highly favored. Well, amen, we are blessed and highly favored. But yet Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But remember, I am with you always. And so Paul, these words that he said to his followers in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
He says this, but you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, by the way. And verse 11 says, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And so I have to love in this letter, here Paul is showing us also, we will face persecution. But when we face persecution, God is going to be there also in the midst. So point number three is divine deliverance incoming. Ordinates are on the way. Here they are. They've been busted out of jail. The angel has broke them free for that purpose and their fire is just continuing to combust. Now more than ever, my goodness, the Lord is with us. His angel has set us free out of this prison for this purpose. The fear of flogging, the fear of prison wasn't enough to stop these men. Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9 says this, and I'm going to invite the worship team uh, to come back on up. Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9, I love this statement by the prophet. He says this in verse 9, I say, I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name, but his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in. I cannot prevail. There were times for the prophet Jeremiah and those who wanted to serve God, they, they faced great oppression. And the oppressors, right, were trying to hem them in and stop them from following God. And then he says in many ways, in fewer words, you want me to stop, but I just can't because it's a fire burning in my heart. It's in my bones. It's in my very being. And so as the worship team leads us in a time of responsive worship, Point number four is this. When our hearts are on fire, we'll bless others. A heart on fire will bless another. Hearts on fire will bless others. That was my prayer before we gathered here today. Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire. Fill us again. And I have to say, when we're willing to step out into those areas of persecution, even affliction, the blessings that will come down the line are tremendous. Because each one of you sitting here today, in many respects, a good chunk of you are my elder. And I say this in a very endearing, respectful way, that the things that you have done, think about it, the words that you've spoken to people in and through this county over the years have planted seed to the point that has affected many other people that maybe you don't even realize to the point where at one point in time, my own father, when he moved to this area, teaching, there was a point in his life where he didn't have any joy. But for whatever reason, through conversation with other, you know, people that had hearts on fire for Jesus, invited him to come to a little house meeting. They used to call it the Stuckle Cathedral on Kent Street in Simcoe, and he would come out, and he came there, and he said, I want what they have. The joy, I want that joy. 
He had never experienced it, not like that. And so because their hearts were on fire, that combustion, that ignition switch spread out through that room and impacted my father's own life and his own heart. And it became, praise Jesus, it became a chain reaction. The people that he ministered to and touched because of that event back on Kent Street. And many of you are here, you know the story. You know my father, Ryan Pierce, the the lives that he was able to come in contact with. And I know our family was deeply just touched when we had his memorial service of hearing the story after story of how the Lord used him to speak into their life. And so I'm encouraged today that like the followers, we read the scripture, it encourages us. We're able to pray, Lord Jesus, may you move in our life like you moved in the lives of your early followers. Their hearts were ablaze. And I believe that Smith Wigglesworth, a British evangelist, I believe he had that fire. You see the countless numbers of people that were impacted by his ministry over in in Europe and beyond. He said this, The fire of God will send us out to witness and win others to the Lord. We all enjoy many blessings today because many were willing to suffer for the sake of the Lord. I can't help become a little bit teary-eyed because sometimes I've missed the boat. I'm going to repeat it. what he said. The fire of God will send us out to witness and win others to the Lord. We all enjoy many blessings today because many were willing to suffer for the sake of the Lord. Wow. Smith Wigglesworth went on to the went on to be with the Lord in about 1947 or so, but his life made a tremendous impact, not just on, on, on pastors and teachers, but believers in general. And so I ask you today, church, and those who are joining us online and on demand, are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to allow our hearts to be set ablaze? To say, Holy Spirit, Ignite the switch. Ignite the switch so that my heart may burn for the lost. My very being will be moved to reach those around me for you. So as the worship team leads us, I want to offer a prayer, but invite you right where you are to say to the Lord, Come into my life, fill me, set my heart ablaze. Lord Jesus, set my heart ablaze that I may want what you want. I may yearn for that which pleases you. That your will is for all to look upon the name of your Son. That God, when we face affliction like your fathers, that we will consider it a joyful thing that we will rejoice like they did because we are counted worthy of even suffering for your name. Thank you, Lord, that you're able to empower us by also removing the hindrances in our life that would hold us back from sharing your transformative grace your life-changing message that all who come to you shall be saved. Set our hearts on fire. 
May this be the day. May we be able to look back on this day, this moment in time, as the moment in which the temperature in that was just right for the ignition, for the combustion to take effect. In Jesus' loving name. In Jesus' loving name. As we come to a time of worship, as we respond, of course, the altar is open for prayer. But with your permission, if you're here today and you're unable to come to the front, just slip up your hand as they're playing and as you're praying, and uh, we'll come to you. We're going to come and believe and pray and intercede in your life. Amen.